Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. We're going to turn to the book of Job. It's spelled J-O-B. If you want to call it Job, that's okay. Uh, Job's not here today, so if you mispronounce his name, it'll be okay. But I want to take you to a to an illustration. I want you to follow me very closely. I want you to listen with all that's within you, men. Real men don't run. Real men don't run. They learn to stand fast for that which they believe. So listen to the one verse. Job 1. And if you're a guest, out of respect to the scripture, we stand on Sunday morning for the reading of the word. So Job 1, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you be seated? I believe that real men can do much to bring certainty to an uncertain world. It can be said that as the men go, so go the nation. It can be said that God was very clear that he began life through the man. Save Jesus, every child had an earthly father who in the process that God had foreordained and put in the context of marriage, children would be born. And the male and the female become one and that child is an inheritor from both sides. And God made us different. I don't care where politics go and all this stuff. Men and women are different the way God made them. We take wedding vows when we get married. Those wedding vows are in, it could be a judge, it could be a minister, it could be a boat captain, I guess, whatever. But in those vows, all of them that I ever saw, they, they sort of have a, a uh, promise. A vow is a promise. I, John, take thee, Beth, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, in riches or in poverty, in health or in sickness, in life's joys as well as in life's disappointments, until God in his wisdom shall separate us by death. That's what I said. I'm glad 51 years later, that we're still one. Everything easy in your marriage? If you're going like this, I'm going to speak on lying soon, so uh, <laughs> don't let me catch you. Marriage is a challenge. I tell everybody when they get married, it says the two shall become one. They say, which one are we going to become? <laughs> the man thinks it's him, she thinks it's her, and God says no. The two become one like this. You see, we're different. We're different. 
okay? If everybody on both sides of marriage has the same strengths, this is what you got. If they both like to talk, nobody can listen. If they both like to spend money, nobody's out there making any enough so that both of them can spend. You know, if one likes to talk, 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 somebody's got to be there and be quiet. And somebody's got to have, I mean, here, here's what makes a marriage. The difference is what makes the difference. We're physically different, emotionally different. Our brains are different. Our bodies are different. But God brings us into one. But he says to the man, he talked to Adam, he made a man in his own image. Then he made a woman. But he made it real clear to Adam, I'm putting you as the head of the house, and it carries all through the New Testament, as to how a man is to stand firm and do what is right and do what is in, listen, in the best interest of his family, not in his best interest, in their best interest. When discipline is needed for the child's benefit, when there is a compromise needed for the wife's benefit, whatever it might be, that is the way God intended for it to be. However, when we veer away from what the Scripture is, and I would submit to you that the Bible is a book, 66 books that are filled with promises from God, covenants from God. If you will, I will. Always God comes through in every situation. God takes seriously covenants or vows. And whenever we veer from those things, we are getting away from what God had planned for our lives. The thing that would make such a big difference today in our world would be if the men were to take the lead in putting some stamina and some certainty in a turbulent world. If there would be something that was a mooring, something you could hold on to. A man, when he says, I'll never leave, means exactly that. A man that says, if you do that, I'm going to have to discipline you, and he does that. A man that says, as for our house, we're going to serve the Lord, and he leads by bringing his family to the Lord. One of the most beautiful sights this week at Bible school was looking, looking at Yes, moms bringing children and their friends and also men sometimes coming alone and bringing a car full of kids, sometimes the husband and the wife and all the boys and girls that they brought. But to see men in our Bible school night after night after night, some taking their vacation to work in that Bible school because they wanted the children to come to see some things that they could bet their life on and would prepare them for whatever is going to come their way. I believe that staying power is man's greatest strength. If you're a lineman in football, you love to hear them say up there in the stands on the defensive line, hold that line, hold that line, hold that line. And man, those big old guys, they get, you know, you think they're mean, but after they hear all that, they really, you know, bring it on. But the men aren't holding the line. In the old days, it's a story about where the Lord is trying to find a man to stand in the gap. He said he could find none. Spoke to the prophet and he's simply saying the chain is broken. Somebody's got to step up and bring this all together. And because of the way God made man, and we are different, we think different. Men think like this, and women think like this. 
I mean, by that I mean, here's a man, you know, he can come in mad. He's mad one minute, glad the next. Mad, glad, mad, glad, mad, glad, mad, glad. A man can come into my office and say, you know what? I got my U-Haul trailer out there, preacher. Just want you to know I'm leaving my wife. I'm moving into an apartment down at Webster. Just want you to know where I am. So if you want to get a hold of me, but we can't get along, I can take him out and get him some uh, lunch, talk two hours, and I'll go back and help him unload his truck. But when a woman comes in, we're looking at two years. Before she ever, 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 ever decides, it's been two years in making that decision. And it's going to be two, three years in getting it back together. Maybe years in making it. But what the point is that men are to stand, hold fast, and not run. Well, they put a story in the Bible. Uh, it's about a godly man. I read the other day. Again, I've read this several times. But every survey I've seen says that the majority of Americans' voters could care less about the moral integrity of the people they vote for. And the analogy of that is, why should I hold them accountable? I know how I live. I know how my friends live. I know how culture is. So how, why would you expect something in leadership? I think you can expect something different in leadership. But you can't find it so many times. And thank God for those that are strong in the Lord that take places of leadership in corporations, schools, politics, churches, business world, on and on. But God put a man in the Bible. First of all, he made it simple, J-O-B. Again, call it, call it job if you want to. It's okay. At least you know where it is and, uh, and who we're talking about. Now, let me tell you about this guy. First of all, he's a rancher. He had a whole lot of land. And he loved the rolling hills, and he was a man's man. He could ride through the pasture on his horse without being the Marlboro man. He didn't have to have a cigarette hanging from his lips and chewing back to spit all over the cactus and feel like I'm more man by doing this. He didn't have to do that. He was a man that was very good in the ranching business. He was a community leader. He had great influence. He and his wife had, listen to this, 10 kids and he had so much money, he didn't have to tell everybody what he had because he had more money than all of them put together. His name was Job. But with his wealth, his power, and his influence, he had another strength that was stronger than any of it. And that was he's a man of integrity and character, and he would not run. The devil heard about him. The devil heard about him, and... Uh, he said, God, let me, let me add him. I'm pretty smooth. I bet you I can break him. The Bible says there was no more righteous man living in his generation than Job. And here comes the devil. He loses his business. He loses his health. He loses his wealth. He loses his own family. When you read through the book, at the peak of his agony, his own wife turned against him and tells him to curse God and die. His closest friends turned against him. It seemed to him that God had forsaken him, but he had not. This man had learned through his personal relationship to God to be steadfast and immovable. All of the pressure is coming. Health is gone, wealth is gone, family has gone, friends gone. Everything has fallen apart. Will he wilt? Will he run? Or will he stand strong? Well, 
You know what he did. He had real character. He did not buy, you know, my wife's not treating me well, I deserve better than this, so I'm going to go have an affair. He didn't do that. He did not, he did not give in to the areas today that a man will give in to just like that. Because he knew that he had a relationship with God that was real. And he didn't know what was going on, but he knew God was in control and he was to be steadfast and immovable and to stand strong, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, men, when you know that God's word wins, when you know if God says stay, he has a reason to tell you to stay. When he says thou shalt not, he's got a thou shalt over here that's far better than the thou shalt not. When he says that's not for you, he's got something over here that says this is for you. And he says I will never withhold any good thing from you. This is the good stuff, that's the bad stuff. I've told you thou shalt not, and everything I've told you thou shalt not is bad stuff. Don't do that. However, look this way. That's the reason we have to repent in order for salvation to come. Bible scholars call it patience. You ever hear somebody say, you got the patience of Job? Yeah, that's where you get that phrase from. Now, some people think that he was a doctor and uh, you get all the patience, you know. Well, no, that's not the way it's spelled. Okay. The patience of Job. Well, I'm going to put another word to it. You know what patience is? Staying power. Staying power. Well, everybody's doing it. I don't, why you tell? What do I care that everybody's doing it? Well, this is just the times that we're living in. What do I care? I'm in an eternal time bubble. I'm going to live forever. So are you. I was with a man yesterday in the middle of the day and out there in the sun that dropped right beside me. And when the ambulance took him off, it was all the appearance that he had died. I could have reached out and touched him, about my age. God took him, did not take me, if he, was, if he passed. But they had the paddles and everything else going, no heart and all that kind of thing. Listen, folks, we don't know what another day is going to bring. But I know one thing, to be absent from the body, to be present in eternity. And we're going to either be with the Lord or we're going to be with Satan. It all has to do with whether or not we believe and practice what God tells us to do. He loves us all. Here's what James wrote to the persecuted Christians. He wrote this in the first chapter, second verse. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces staying power, patience. When you are tested and you stay strong, all of us have had two things happen in our life. One is, I don't know why I did this. This is when you did it and you fall. The other thing is, I don't know why I said no, but I thank God I didn't. I thank God I didn't get in that situation. I thank God I didn't go to that party. I thank God I didn't get in that car. I thank God I didn't do that. And you say, by the grace of God, I'm still alive. I did not make that airplane. It, did, it took off. 
before I got there and the plane crashed and everybody on the plane was killed. I've had, I have two preacher friends that that happened to. They were delayed in taxi cabs going to the airport. The plane took off, one from New Orleans and crashed, killed everybody on board. All of his preaching, he would bring that up. I thank God. I thank God. I was mad, I was angry, fussed at a cab driver, and I'm going to have to ask him to forgive me when I get to heaven because the cab broke down. But all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Those who love the Lord have staying power. Those that love the Lord don't run. When the Lord says, I'm with you, why are you going to run away from him? He says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. He says, I own everything. I got all the money, all the power. I don't know what you're running out there looking for. And I have, made, I have created the cattle on a thousand hills. You say, but I need a wife. I made all the women. <laughs> I need a husband. Oh, I made all the men. None of us are accidents from God's standpoint. So we look around, and Paul speaks up again. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, here's what he says to the young preacher. He's coming to the end of his life. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished the race, and I kept the faith. Any of you read the history of, of Texas, the Alamo, Travis, the line in the sand? What happened when you stepped over that line? Say, everybody's going to run, take off. But if you're going to stay in Alamo, step over the line. It was settled that time. When the horse dust went over the hill, every man there stood until the last man fell. How about D-Day at Normandy? Those soldiers hit that beach. There was no turning, jumping back in the boat. Said, man, there's more machine guns up there than we thought. They came out there, and many of them fought to their death. But when they stepped on that beach, to take that beach, there was no turning back. That's a real man. That's what we're talking about. I read a story years ago. I've tried to find it. I can't find it to get more of the details, but I can tell you the essence of the story. It was during the Confederate War, and they were recruiting all these soldiers, and they were half-trained, and they, they all needed a bugler. So they hired this guy, and he could play a bugle, he said. So they taught him how to play charge and how to play the retreat. And they got in the, in the fit of the battle, and his, and his uh, battalion was falling. And the commander hollered to the bugler and said, blow retreat. He didn't know how. So he blew charge. <laughs> and they wiped out the enemy. He didn't know how to turn back. That's what a man of God is. You know, we've, we've already repented. We were walking this way. Now we're walking this way. And if you're saved, you can't walk back this way again. That is called eternal life. So now all you can do is charge. And it's okay if you say, Lord, I want to charge, but could you lead the way? Kind of get behind you. You know, you take the first hit. Matter of fact, all through the Bible, that's what he says he wants you to do. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Never does he say, get out in front, take the first hit, but I'm covering your back. That's not the way it works. Well, Job didn't understand what God was doing. But you know what he said? You know what he said to his wife? Curse God and die? He said, if he slays me, I'm going to trust him. But when you get there, you're somewhere. God can use you. When you say, I do not care what everybody, I'm not looking for a census, I'm not watching the news to see who everybody else is voting for or what's going on, as for me and my house, we've already made up our mind. We're following God. We're following God. He doesn't change. He 
Here's the problem. The male gender has literally been invaded, invaded by those who, for whatever reason, have chosen to retreat. Not be men of God. Not protect your family and build an umbrella protection over your family and you be the one that takes the first hit. For so many, that's passed away. You say, well, preacher, how bad is this epidemic? One-third of all children in America, one-third in America, do not live with their natural father. Fifteen million children are growing up in homes today in America where there is no live-in father. Seventy percent of all the men, and, and most, of, uh, most of the statistics I have seen are closer to 80. Seventy percent of the men that are in the penitentiaries grew up where there was no father at home. Seventy to eighty percent. And over one million children a year watch their moms and dad divorce. And that's just as difficult on the children as it is on the mom and dad. Just as difficult. It's a norm thing, folks. It's a norm thing. Children anticipate mom and dad's not gonna always be together. That's so sad. But real men don't run. Listen to me, men. It's till death do us part. Do you remember? Till death do us part. God does not like to see people retreating and running. He never did, and he does not want you to. Because he's standing strong, and he just says, stand with me. He's not going to retreat. And when you retreat, you leave him there, and you go off alone, right back into the pits of Satan's army. Men that run, literally, and I admire you guys that do that. I don't like to, I'm not a marathon runner. I, I admire all of, all of you that run. Uh, my personal philosophy I got from Bob Hope. He's not a writer of the Bible, but Bob Hope was, was one of the unusual comedians uh, of our, could, could tell clean jokes and everybody would laugh and live to 100, I think. Bob Hope said that he didn't jog, he didn't exercise, he didn't run marathons. He got his exercise being the pallbearer at their funerals. I thought, well, okay, whatever. But you know something that I have learned? Men that run are tired all the time. They're tired all the time. Can't help but be. And when you're trying to run after all these other gods and all these other people and trying to, trying to please everyone else instead of please your God... When you, when you try to please your God, he will rest you when you need to rest and he will run you when you need to run. But when you just run after all other gods, you wear yourself out. And in your weakest moment, when you're dead out tired, Satan comes in, just like he did with Job. The only thing was he just didn't take God's word. Try Job. There is one. There's none like him. There's no, that none are more righteous than Job and Satan got more than he could handle. And you know what, guys? If some of you would quit running and stand firm, your whole life would change because you would convince yourself that he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. You would find yourself making decisions that would blow your own mindset. When your wife said, I can't believe you did that, honey, you say, 
I can't believe I did it either. <laughs> but I did. I said no. I came home on time. I stopped that silly thing I was about to do. That's a real man. And that's who Job was, and that's who God wants us to be. If there's anything that I could leave you with today that I think would help you, would be to just tell you, man, that there's nothing that people will respect more, nor is there any way for you to be at your best that would be better than making a promise and keeping it. You tell your children to do that. Well, you promised their mother you'd live with her, live with her. You, you promised that you would do everything you could to get a job, that your pride would not keep you from doing whatever it is. Do that. I had an, uh, an example when I was nine years old of standing by one of my child heroes. His name was Tank, Frank Powers was his name. He looked like... Uh, uh, Clark Gable and the Marlboro Man uh, rolled into one. Had thumbs that are about that big around, could chop down a four-inch cedar tree with one hand, and every blow would knock down a four-inch cedar post. Wore an old greasy hat, blue jeans, pick up a rattlesnake by the tail, that kind of stuff. And I stood by him one day, and I stood on one side, and my father stood on another side, and he had bought five or six thousand acres. I forget exact acreage, but thousands, several thousand acres in Riall County, and everything there was either cedar tree or rock. There was not one thing there, and he was going to make a ranch out of it. And my dad asked him because he had hunted on another ranch that Mr. Powers had, and he said, "What are you going to do first? He said, "Well, I'm going to build a goat shed for my goats, and I'm going to build a fence all the way around this ranch." And uh, he and, and uh, two other men built a five-strand fence, goat wire at the bottom, but five strands of, of bob wire in solid stone with a crowbar and a coffee can. And you guys that live in West Texas know exactly when I did it with him for three summers when I got older, build those fences. Hardest work I ever saw in my life. He said, I'm going to build a fence preacher around this whole thing I don't remember how many miles it was it's like 14 miles 15 miles up and down the hills of Texas he said I'm going to pay for it and when I get through my neighbors are going to pay for half of it first words out of my dad's mouth living in Houston Texas was tank how do you know when you get the fence finished that they're going to pay for it and without missing a note tank turned to my dad and he said preacher they said they would that was the end of the legal documents. That was the end of getting an attorney. They said they would. That's called a West Texas guarantee. Some of you can remember where in Houston, Texas, you could buy a car. You go to the dealer. The dealer would call your banker and say, so-and-so is here. They want to buy a car. Sell it to them. And can I talk to them on the phone? Yes, this is John. John, step by, stop by the bank sometimes in the next 30, 40 days and sign the paper. That used to be in Houston, Texas. You won't have that happen anymore, I will guarantee you. But what a w wonderful world when you could have five, six, seven neighbors that said, if I tell you something, you can take it to the bank. That's what Job was like. That's what you're supposed to be like. People ought to be able to trust you. When you tell the person you're trying to get to hire you, I will work as hard as you need me to work because I want to make this company a success. And you do that, you'll be rewarded by the Heavenly Father. That's just the way God does it. Don't run. Don't run from your job. 
Well, the boss was mean to me and he promoted somebody on top of me. Forget that. I can tell you stories all day. Thank God somebody else got that job. God's got a whole much better job for you over here. Just relax. But don't run. Don't quit. Don't walk out on your marriage. Don't walk out on your kid. Don't quit school. Stand strong. I hope that when all of us come to the end of our journey, that somebody might stand and say, he didn't run. When times were hard in the Depression, they didn't run. When times were hard in 2014, they didn't run. He stood firm. He did right on purpose. That's called character. You probably find a better job. You find whatever you're looking for, more money. But it's not about that. It's not about that. It's keeping your word. Real men don't run. They change things, listen, for the better, right where they are. Listen to me, men. When we change, the people we know change that we interact with. If you say, as I tell all of our men when they get married, I, I have them say these 12 words. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. I need you. Don't forget those three words, 12 words, in, three, in groups, four groups of three. Whenever you say to your wife, I was wrong, and she's never heard that in 25 years of married life, I will guarantee you she will change. The first thing is she will fall on the floor and pass out with surprise, okay? But when she wakes up, she'll lay there smiling for just a minute. Is that you, honey? Oh, oh. I was wrong. Oh, no, honey, I was wrong. Oh, no, I was wrong. You know, st stand your ground. Don't give in now. That She's used to that. But, folks, wouldn't it be great if we had a nation where the men would stand for what's right? Hey, there's right and there's wrong. And you don't have to watch and see how the, how the, the numbers are coming in. Should I do this? How's everybody going to do? No, no, no. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want to challenge all of you men today to stand firm for right, for biblical rightness. If the Bible says it's wrong, accept it by faith. Stand strong. Joshua did it when he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Great things happen. And the two things that are most important to God which you can have a profound effect on is your church and your family if you'll stand for what's right. If you will not with a looking down your nose as I'm better than you, but really saying only one thing, I can do nothing else but what God saved me and put me here to do. He put me in this family. He put me in this church. The family and the church can change the community and the state, and the nation, and the world. When God said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, he builds his church with godly people and godly families. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't tear them down. The walls are falling, people, and the men are retreating in so many cases. So I challenge you men today, if you don't know God, why not today? 
Why don't you humble yourself as a little child like the Bible says you must do? And as we dismiss now in just a few seconds to go back to the Connection Center, the big lobby, the private lobby, not where all the people are. Go in there and tell the people there, I just want to know how to pray and ask Jesus to come into my life. I'm ready to start standing for God. I want to go home a different person. Those that have the VIP shirts on will take you into the room. There will be men there, women there, those some that speak Spanish. And they will be able to talk with you, pray with you, not push you into anything, but to help you understand. But no matter what, men, stand up for Jesus. Stand firm. Put all of your strength, the power of your might. Get put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the evil one. This is the sword. This is the sword. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, and feet that are, are prepared to carry the gospel of peace to the world. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Well, Job didn't run. The rest of the story is real simple. His health came back. God brought his wife back, his family back, his business back, and doubled everything he had. What did he do? Came up with a new idea on ranching, how to run a business? No. He stood for God, and God took care of it. Listen, men, no weapon that's formed against you will prosper because this is inheritance of the men of God and the children of God. I don't care what your company thinks about you. I don't care what the world thinks about you. I don't care what your family thinks about you. You stand strong in the power of God's might and don't run, and God will take care of the situation. It never fails. It never fails. The best example I know, a man named Jesus. Remember? All through the story, he could have run, he could have run, he could have run. He even prayed one time, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God said, stand firm, son. Stand firm. He did. He could have called the angels of heaven. He stood. Remember what happened, don't you? They crucified him. That was Friday. That was Friday, man. Thank God it's Friday. But Monday's coming. No, it got there before Monday on Sunday morning Jesus rose from the grave he had finished the work the father had sent him to do and the father touched him he rose and 40 days after that he ascended to the right hand of the father and one day soon he's coming back to this earth again and those that stand with him he will take with us with him because we have been faithful over a few things he's going to make us ruler over many things he's going to give us the desire of our heart in this life if our heart is to please him so i challenge you guys to do it be a man don't run don't be like your buddies be like god and you'll never regret that you did just that let's pray heads are bowed and eyes are closed we're going to dismiss the service now in just a few seconds, and I want you to take a moment, especially the men. Now, guys, you know. You know where your weaknesses are. You know if you're a Christian, you know there's power in the blood. If you don't, there's power in the blood. 
The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. You can't undo the past. But why don't you today make this the first day of the rest of your life and take a stand for God. Tell your wife, tell your children, things are going to be different around here a little bit. Dad's going to be changing. You may see a little change in my personality. You may see a little change in my priorities. You, you may see a big change between your mom and I. We're going to read the Bible. We may have prayers at the dinner table. But we're going to do right on purpose. We got a new home because you got a new daddy. Pray this simple prayer, man, if you've never asked God into your life. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I've run so many times from you. I've tried to find my strength in my buddies and groups and in majorities, and, but I'm miserable. I feel so alone. But I realize, God, I've forsaken your purpose for my life. So I'm asking you right now, Man to man, would you come into my life? I confess, you're a Lord, not me, but I want to be adopted into your family. I want to live for you. Whatever you give me to do, I will do it. With obedience, with boldness, but I will not run from the enemy. So come into my heart, Lord Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.